I love making connections with people on social media and that's what's kept me going in blogging for 10 years now. Many times I've thought about quitting, but then like the moment I think about quitting, someone sends me a very nice message and saying how much I've motivated them in whatever capacity. And I guess I just want people to realize that whoever you are, you're motivating somebody else. Hello, podcast world. Welcome to episode 27 of Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. I'm so excited to share badass mom Michelle Baxter's, aka the Runner's Plate, inspiring story. Michelle fell in love with running all the way back in the first grade and has played a major role in her life ever since. She's a mom of two young boys, Cullen, age six, Bjorn, age 15 months and lives and trains in Anchorage, Alaska. So no more complaining about harsh weather running peeps, and that includes me. Just nine months after having Colin, she won the RunFest Marathon in Anchorage, breaking tape. Totally awesome. Michelle started a blog 10 years ago called The Runner's Plate, and it's helped her forge connections all over the world. Some of those connections have helped her keep going when she's been down or struggling with training and having trouble with her own motivation. It also has led her to start coaching athletes for herself, and it's definitely keep the fire stoked for her chasing down her sub-three marathon dream. Direct quote from Michelle from her blog. Some may say my current marathon PR of 302, 657 pace is close enough, but I can't let go of this goal that keeps inspiring every day to get out there and train. I know it takes the daily grind of workouts, two-a-days, strength sessions, etc., to get me to my goal, so I'll keep working toward it until I'm satisfied. I hope you all enjoy this chat as much as we did. So let's dive on in and take a listen. Good evening, Michelle. Welcome to Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Doing well. Doing well. What's it like up there in Alaska? I imagine the temps are a little colder than New York City for me. Uh, it's about 20 degrees, so it's not terrible right now. Um, a lot of Alaskans will say that it's actually, they think it's colder elsewhere, like upstate New York or Minnesota because of the wind chills. So we don't get a lot of wind chills here, so it can be, most of the winter it's tolerable, but we definitely get some cold temps too. Um, I'm sure you do. Now, are you in you, Are you in Anchorage? I should know, but I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, yeah, I live, it's, I'm in Anchorage. Okay, and that's the place to be. That's the main place that people hang out. And I, before we came on the air, I was just letting you know that it's hard to believe, but as my 27th guest on the show, three of them we're born in Alaska. So two other guests. So you're going to the third out of 27. That's pretty amazing. I mean, what are the odds of that? Yeah, that's pretty crazy because there's not many people that live in this state. Yeah. And you grew up in Minnesota, right? I grew up in Minnesota. Yeah. Small South Central farming community. My parents were farmers and my husband was from Anchorage and that's how I ended up here. Great. So you grew up with the cold weather and the grit and the hard work ethic. So all good things to be building blocks to make a strong runner for sure. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. My parents are very hard workers and instilled in me some of those hard work ethics and being a firstborn probably also helps. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I know. Well, I only have one. My ex and I are super close. We just have one son. And I think it's great when you're either being the oldest or, you know, being the only, you know, you definitely get the most attention and it's, it's definitely a nice thing. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm the middle, I'm the classic middle child. So I was always like trying to work my angle and do whatever I could to be noticed and please pay attention. And, and now of course I have my younger brother too. So, you know, we're all like, Hey mom, we're still here too. You know, you know what that's like? Yeah. So you have two, you have two boys, right? I have two boys. I have a six-year-old and a 15-month-old. So a little bit of a gap, but um, I took some time after my first to do some running. My big goal in running has been to break us um, three hours in the marathon. So I attempted a few marathons after having my first and then kind of took a break to have my second. And now I'm at it again to try to get that sub three hour marathon. And you're really close at this point. 302 is your marathon PR. So you're knocking on the door. And I remember we're just exchanging notes, a little bit of background before coming on the show. I know you won a marathon like just a few months after having, after having your son. And that's pretty amazing, right? Which, um, which marathon was that? Is it, was it in Anchorage or somewhere, somewhere nearby? That was a marathon here in Anchorage. It's the Runfest marathon. And, uh, um, it, the funny thing is, so yeah, I ran it at nine months, nine and a half months postpartum with my first and, uh, my buildup was really solid. I, I was, I felt good and, um, workouts went well. And then on race day, they changed the course that year and we ran the course and about, I, it was maybe before halfway, maybe around mile 10 or 12, the mile markers weren't lining up with my watch. All of a sudden I was seeing a mile marker for 13, but I was only at mile 12 on my watch. And so we run the whole race and the race ended up being a mile short. So I technically ran only 25 miles that day. And I have a picture of me crossing the finish line in a sub three hour marathon, like 259. And my husband was all excited. He's like, you broke three hours. I'm like, no, 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 the course is short. So that was kind of a bummer. And there was, I actually felt worse for those people who were trying to be cute because they weren't sure if their time was going to qualify, but they averaged out your time and then added on that extra mile. And they um, come to find out it actually happens more often than you think. That is a really interesting story because, you know, when you're, when you have a big goal like that, and, um, you know, obviously sub three is a huge goal, but to your point uh, about trying to be cute, it doesn't matter what age group you're in. You know, the time you're trying to run might be three hours and 40 minutes. It might even be like four hours, like whatever age group you're in, whatever that number is, that's the number you're locked into. That's the number you're paying attention to. And with a BQ, you know, you're not trying to hit the number, you know, you're going to need to go a certain number of minutes under anyway. I mean, it's been so, so much more difficult um, of late um, just due to popularity in Boston being such an epic race. So if you're, if you needed to run a 305 to get in for your age group, you might really need to run 301 or, or even three flat to really have some comfort. Um, and, and that's basically the way it works. So, Wow. 
that's, you know, you, there's your big number and then you get under and then you find out it's not even, not even the real deal. But yeah, typical runner, I would be the same way. I'd be like, no, no, this isn't right. My watch is wrong. Like you would know, you know, something was off, but you know, with GPS though, man, you can't really know for sure. Um, that's one of the big things this year where all these races being done virtually. I mean, you really don't know unless you're like running on a track and somebody were counting your laps truly. I mean, GPS can be off by quite a bit. Um, yeah, yeah. Because we have lots of wooded trails. And so you go through the where it's more wooded and the GPS doesn't pick up a good signal or where, you know, in a big city like New York where the tall buildings are. Yeah. That it does it's always not very reliable. It can really, it can really have a negative impact. So um growing up um as a kid, you know, just give a little background, like where did sports come in for you? When did you first get interested? What sports did you play? Stuff like that. People always like to hear um how somebody, you know, was as was as a kid before maybe maybe before they even got involved in running at all. I mean, so many of my guests that have been on the show didn't run at all in high school or college and others you know, literally started in middle school and have been with it ever since. So I, I kind of just love the range of, of of what people's experiences have been. I kind of say I started running when I was 10. So I've been running for over 25 years now. And really running was one of the first sports I tried and practiced. Um, I, I mean, I took swimming lessons. I did a little gymnastics, but a little basketball. But running was just, it it did come naturally for me, I one of my first memories of running was in first grade, running the mile in PE, and I was the first girl done. And I mean, that's I just remember feeling really proud of myself. So that kind of carried on through grade school, and then I just started practicing for that mile in PE in middle school, and then middle school track. And high, I mean, I ran in high school, junior high, high school, college, but I was very average. I mean not even below average in college. Um, just, I didn't realize you had to train year round in high school to like actually be a good runner. So I, you know, you just run in the summer a little bit and then join cross country in the fall and, um, then, but then stop during the winter before track. So, I mean, I, I did okay. You know, I did better in ninth grade and track, but then got work. It got slower as I got older, which is very natural for girls as we go through puberty. And then, yeah, in college, I dealt with some anemia. So I really struggled with breathing and just feeling tired all the time and didn't figure that out until after I had graduated college. So I did, you know, I did like shorter events in track just because I couldn't sustain much longer. And then cross country was hit and miss. So I've had, I mean, I've had ebbs and flows throughout my running career and it really wasn't um, until after college, I just kept at it cause I loved it. And I loved the sense of accomplishment just for go going out for a run. And naturally as I just ran more and consistently year round, it just got to a point where I started to become competitive and competitive, more competitive in the Anchorage running community and just stuck with it. Well, that's, that's great because sometimes people that are so serious about it when they're younger, they kind of get burned out. They lose that flame or that desire. Um, or if their times are getting slower, as you mentioned, which is quite common, um, sometimes 
kids in high school or college, they've run their best times literally the first year they arrive on a campus and then they get distracted. There's many other things going on. Or in your case, you ended up figuring out you had anemia. Now, did you just, was it from feeling sluggish, getting blood work? Like, how did you end up figuring that piece of it out? Because a lot of people do not figure that out. It goes on for a really long time. And, you know, they may end up getting osteoporosis or getting stress fractures or all sorts of other, you know, other maladies occur before they actually figure out, whoa, this is, this is what's really going on here. Honestly, I don't even remember how I ended up figuring it out. I, I remember going to the doctor, I got tested for allergies and asthma and I had like heart, like heart testing done. And somehow for whatever reason, I don't even remember, I just started taking an iron supplement. And then, you know, in a couple of weeks, since red blood cells grow quite quickly, I, in a couple of weeks, I started feeling better all of a sudden. I was like, wow, that's all it took. Like I struggled for a couple of years with just being able to run a couple laps on the track. So yeah, it was, I don't, honestly, I don't really remember how, what gave me the idea to take an iron supplement, but fortunately it worked. And now any, anytime I don't take that supplement, I definitely, I feel it. And so it's, I've had to just t- keep taking iron. I, you know, I don't tend to eat a lot of red meat. Um, I eat some, but I just, and I think just as a, a long distance runner, you just go through so many more red blood cells. Yeah, no question. No question. So, you know, as when did you, you know, get to like the competitive state now? Because obviously 302 is, is serious, serious running. It's under seven minutes per mile for 26 miles. Um, it's in the mid, mid six fifties. I just know off the top of my head, just from having run, you know, all of those times, Um, so like, when did you get competitive about your running and, you know, when, you know, what got you going on the track, you know, where you're in this, in this mode that you're in now where, wow, now you're really like making serious progress versus what your high school and your college results were like. It was a couple of years after I graduated college and I ran my first half marathon and I believe it was 135, 136. And I had no idea what a good time was. I don't even think I did. I think I did a, like a long run of 10 miles. And I just re- finished that race. And even at that point in time, I don't think I realized where I placed or even looked at the results. But then I just kept at it. And then it actually took me a long time to break that, break that PR. I mean, it was eight years. It was, it was quite a few years, but once I moved up to Anchorage, I did, I would, you know, I was always running, but I'd only run maybe a couple races a year, but I started placing, you know, in my age group and then like top 10 for the women. I'm like, Oh, this is kind of fun. It's kind of fun to see how fast I can get. And, um, in 2010, I started my blog and I think that kind of motivated me too. Cause now I was like, Oh, I'm putting all this information out on that. <laughs> to the rest of the world, I've got to, I'm got to keep at this. And that was also when I did my first marathon. And when I first committed to running a marathon, I would, I wanted to make sure that I properly trained. I wasn't going to just jump in and run it without the proper training. So, you know, I did the long runs, I did the long tempos and then started blogging at that time. My first marathon was grandma's marathon in Duluth, Minnesota. So my family was there. And uh, 
I was trying at, and I was trying to qualify for Boston and I, I didn't, I ran around a three forty five, and I needed three thirty. Um, but it was my goal to qualify for Boston. So I was like, well, I got to try again. So, you know, train, you know, run through the fall, through the winter, and then try again next summer. It took me a couple of times before I finally qualified, but I think just being the overachiever and perfectionist that I am, that it just kept me going. And, you know, the more that I ran naturally, the faster you get. And as long as you're consistent. So I just kept at it and then kind of started placing higher in my age group and higher in the, with the women's field. And so just kind of a natural progression over time. Yeah. Well, I think, um, as a runner, we measure, we measure everything. How many miles a week do we run? What pace do we run? What do we run a recovery runs at? You know, do you pay, do you pay attention to your heart rate? I mean, there's literally a myriad of things. I mean, now you have the whoop device that'll measure, you know, I mean, any phone, I mean, any decent watch will measure how much sleep you're getting, but the whoop and these other things, like even professional golfers, believe it or not, are like hugely involved with this because it's telling you things about your body that we wouldn't normally find out. Cause you might wear a chest strap on your run for a tempo run or a long run, or maybe even on every run. Um, I personally do because I know wrist-based heart rate is absolutely a fraud. It doesn't work. And you live in Alaska, so I know you know it doesn't work. There's no way on earth you're going to use a wrist-based heart monitor in Alaska because, A, you'd have frostbite. And number two, even if you managed to fit it in between your gloves and something else and got it on there tight enough, it just, you know, blood vessels, constriction, it just doesn't work. So for people out there that do want to use heart rate training for some indicator of their fitness level, you got to use a chest strap. Um, it's important. Um, you don't have to use it on every run, but you have to. But with the, the myriad of technology we have, it's it's amazing. And, um, you know, so you get involved. And I think the blog probably helped even more than you think. Because, you know, once you start having to put down your own thoughts about what you're doing, and you're not just writing it for yourself, journaling, and journaling is awesome on its own. I mean, you don't have to have a blog. Even if you just took out a, a journal every single day and wrote about your day, your diet, your runs, how you're feeling, whatever is going on in your world, that's extremely powerful and helpful. Even if it's just putting things on your refrigerator, I want to do this. I'm going to run a sub three marathon. I'm going to run a hundred mile ultra in 2021. Like there's real power in that. But once you start communicating with the external world, hey, they're going to write back to you. They're going to engage with you. They're going to ask you questions. They're going to want to know your opinion. Um, so it takes on a very, very different element. And I also think that there's it's a natural thing in life once you start to build that kind of connection with people from all these different places. Like, hey, I want to show these people I'm really good. I can I can get this job done. And if you're being instructive and giving them ideas, just like what you know, you can show them, hey, I can deliver the goods. So if you're telling them you're going after a sub three, you want to deliver it, you know, and that's that there's power in that because once you make that commitment to yourself is one thing, but if you put it out there for the rest of the world, that's a very different thing. Yeah. I mean, I've been scared to put out my, I've made my, like the first time I um, attempted a sub three or a marathon, I put it out there. And then the next time and this third time, I wasn't even sure that I wanted to put it out there again. Cause I'm like, well, what if I fail again? And people don't, I mean, I only see it as a failure. Other people don't, they just see me trying, but it still kind of feels like a failure to me. So yeah, the second and third time I'm like, I don't even know if I want to share this this time around um, because I don't want to disappoint people, but 
like I said, they don't, people don't see it that way, but it's, it's always, I, there's been many, many times that I've been running a race and, you know, you try to think of your mantras while you're running and things to keep you going. And many times I'm like, all these people that are cheering for me virtually, I'm like, okay, I got to do it for them. Keep working hard for them. So yeah, it's, it's pretty motivating knowing, knowing that how many people are following you and cheering for you and want to see your success, but also are just as supportive when, if it doesn't go the way you wanted it to. Yeah. I couldn't agree with that more. Um, we were talking before we came on, before we came on the show tonight of just, um, you know, like putting things out there that even if you're just putting it out there on Instagram, not even on a blog, like, Hey, I started the new year and decided I wanted to run 15 miles a day. And like my son laughs at me like, dad, where do you come up with this stuff from? I'm like, sometimes I don't even know myself. I'm just like, you know what? I want to pick something really hard. I want to try to really challenge myself, not just physically, but mentally the mindset is the stuff I focus on a lot more these days. So moving into the ultra world and running a 50 miler last year for Tommy rivers, Pusey, you know, wearing my ribs gear, um, it was only two months after a concussion. I had no business being out there trying to run a 50 mile race, but I knew that by putting that Jersey on and running for ribs, like in my mind, I had to finish that race. Now, I don't know if I was going to make the time cut off to get a medal because that's a different part of ultra that doesn't exist. I shouldn't say that it does exist in our regular marathons. It's just never been something I've bumped up against. You know, I'm, I've never been like had to worrying about make, making a finishing time in a marathon. Other people do. Um, other people do have to worry about those things. And that's a stressful thing for me that day. I wasn't worried about my time or my finishing time where I got a medal. I just knew I wanted to go 50 miles and I wanted to cross the line and do it. And I did, and now I'm going to take on a hundred miler this year. But this this crazy, stupid streak that I have doesn't make doesn't matter to anybody else. You know that we were kidding around before. Just like your sub three hour marathon it doesn't sure it matters to your husband. It, you know your kids. Mm, I don't know if they're really old enough to understand. Certainly one of them isn't. Um, there's probably a few of your really close friends, and there's probably a few people on Instagram that you're really tight with, or just as the nature of the way Instagram is. I know there are people they're waiting to find out. Did he do it again today? And that's the truth. And you know what? I put those people in my head and I say, you know what? I, I sign up my podcast, keep lacing them up, keep getting out the door. That's as much for all the people who listen to the show, but it's really for me too. Like that's my own accountability. When I don't want to go out the door and I don't want to lace my shoes up and I want to just say, I'm going to hang out with my pooch and you know watch Netflix like everybody else. I'm like, no. I have to go. I've got to make myself go. I know I don't really want to go, but I can turn around. And I even said that to you, like, this was the, this is the sixth day in a row of 15 miles. I'm like, you know what? I can just go down the corner and run two miles. Well, how funny is that to say two miles, right? For somebody running two miles would be a really big thing, right? And people that you're talking to in your blog, or maybe even coaching for two miles might be a big win for somebody. But in my mind, I'm like, well, I could just run two miles. And if I don't feel, feel it, I'll turn around and I'll come back. But I know that's not what I really want to do. So for the people you're talking to, you know, in your blog or any, even somebody that you coach, like sometimes the win is just to convince them to just get out the door. Cause once you're out the door, you don't know what's going to happen after that. You know, you don't really know because there's that strong sense of purpose that we have as runners. Like, you know, I want to get this done, you know? Yeah. I mean, they say you never regret a run and it's so true. Like there's, if you're just the sense of accomplishment, even just on a daily run, it's, it's all worth it. And getting people out the door. And I, you know, I t made a little reel on Instagram for tips for 
if you want to become a morning runner. And it's like, just put your clothes on right away, put your shoes on right away, walk out that door. Don't think about it. Because <laughs> if you think about it, if you get distracted by your phone, whatever, much harder to just put your clothes on and head out the door. I like it. I like it. So what? So is is that the kind of stuff? I know I saw some, some really cool stuff. And for anybody out there who's making excuses about not wanting to run in the bad weather, I don't even want to hear about it anymore because our girl up here is running up in Anchorage, Alaska, man. And she's got this video on screwing the uh, sheet metal screws into her sneakers. And I'm just loving it, man, because, you know, honestly, that's a genius idea. And I know it, I'm sure you saw it other places and other people have talked about that. It's probably much more known in the trail community and the ultra community because they're out there running on rough conditions and rough roads and rough terrain all the time. And it's going to give you more traction, but it's genius because man, it makes all the difference, man. It's like if you have regular tires on your car versus snow tires, or if you have snow tires with studs, I mean, look, that's the difference between maybe skidding out and hitting into a tree or a divider and staying on the road. So so super cool. And do you feel like, does it give you a little more confidence, you know, when you're out there running on really sl- in sloppy conditions or sloppy roads, just knowing you have those on? Oh yeah, for sure. So I have the, I put screws, the sheet metal screws into some of my shoes. And then I also have separate shoes where the studs are in the shoe when you buy it. And there's, a, those are called the ice bugs. So those are really good for the ice. Cause we get a lot of ice here in Anchorage. Cause it'll, just a couple of weeks ago, it warmed up to like 40 degrees and then everything turned to ice. It rained and then everything was covered in ice. So I actually have two different like shoes with screws in or studs in for running in the running conditions up here because they don't, we don't use salt on the road. So the ice is always on the roads. I mean, I run six months on snow and packed snow and ice and it's never, ever dry pavement. So all winter long, I mean, that's why I have to do my, my workouts on the treadmill. Cause I literally cannot, unless it was like the busy highway. And even most of the time, that's not even dry pavement is still covered in ice. So it's really hard to train here. I tell people, I mean, there's a reason professional runners do not live here. <laughs> it's not, it's not, it's not easy. Um, there, yeah, we have professional skiers, lots of professional skiers that live here, but not professional runners. <laughs> yeah. And maybe some, maybe some snowboarders and, you know, people that are like trekkers and hikers that live on the land, but yeah, it's not, uh, but I'll tell you what, it's got to make you tough. It has to make you tough. And mentally it's got to make you mentally tough. And that's going to be helpful for you because when you're on the, on the fringe of hitting a big goal, and in this case, sub three is one of the biggest time goals that people ever aspire to hit. Um, and if you're talking about shorter distances in 5k, it's like 20 minutes and 10k it tends to be 40 minutes. Like they always seem to be these round numbers. And it's just bizarre how these numbers have come to be, because if you ran, you know, two hours and 59 minutes, 59 seconds, you would feel like you'd won a hundred million dollar Powerball. If you ran three hours and zero, zero seconds, it's one second different. And you would feel like the race, like, I can't believe it. And that's the truth. Like there isn't a runner out there. I don't care what your ability is. Like that's how wrapped up we get in trying to accomplish our goals. And it'll make you go from this, having this huge smile, like you have right now on the screen to like, 
I can't believe that I missed by like one second or I can't on my watch. I had it, but they don't have it on the official time. And, you know, like I've known friends who've like emailed the race directors and been like, you know, what do I have to give you to change my time from 40s, 4001 flat to 3959? And they're just like, yeah, that's not going to happen. But yeah. yeah, I was actually glad I ran 302. So it was a whole, like full two minutes, almost three minutes slower. And it wasn't yeah. Yeah. three hours and two seconds or three seconds. So I was actually kind of glad that it was like, there was no way I was hurting so much those last four miles that there's no physical way I could have gone faster. Well, you're, you are, you make a great point because when you're that close um, and my ex's first marathon, she was an amazing runner. She ran a couple of two fifty threes, and I used to coach her. And um, so her very first marathon, first one, like you ran a 135 or 136 half, which is a phenomenal first half marathon time. Her first marathon in her life, she goes out to Portland, Mar- um, Portland, Oregon with me. And she says, look, I, I don't, I haven't, haven't even run more than 16 miles. And that was with you. She goes, I just feel like if you could run at least a big chunk of the race with me, I'm going to tell you when I'm good. She goes, and when I tell you I'm good, I want you to go. I don't want you to stay with me. I just want you to take off and just go as fast as you want. And it'll be fun to see how much time you can put on me between now and whenever that point is. And I thought she was going to want me to just run like 10 miles with her or something, but we, we actually ran 20 miles together. And, you know, every, I would run and get her Gatorade. Cause I just, I felt like I was out there pacing, like, um, uh, what's her name from Nazalie. I, I love Stephanie Bruce and her husband. Um, they're just amazing. And he paced it. He paced Alafine and all these amazing Nazalite women to great times. And they just had that marathon project out in the desert as well. So pacing is really important. And I got her just like locked in. And I was just like, I knew that she was comfortable. I, she wasn't breathing hard. She was relaxed. I was cracking jokes. I was like, don't talk. Don't, you don't, you don't even, you don't even have to answer. You just don't say anything. Just, just, just chill. And like at 20 miles, she just, she just looked at me and she goes, go. I go, really? She goes, yeah. She goes, you got 10K to have some fun. I was like, okay. (laughs) And I took off. She ran three hours and three seconds in her first marathon. And she said that her stomach, like the last two miles, like everybody's had it happen where literally, look, if you had to pee, we can all live with peeing. No, she was like, if she ran any harder, she was afraid she was going to have to go, you know, like number two, which none of us, it's a horrible feeling, man. Like you just, nobody wants to have that happen. And there've been some amazing like elite, marathoners, some of the most famous ever who've actually gone on the course and it's memorialized forever. But, you know, she, that was her very first marathon and me in New York city one year, you know, I've run um, two forty and, you know, a lot of really faster times in my mid thirties and even sub three and like at 46, but in one year in New York, um, the, it was the year after nine 11. It was that year. It was the year of the nine 11. So because of that, um, and we're in the first wave because we have the fastest times. They didn't announce us. They didn't tell any of the runners. It was just one of those things, like to make it ceremonial. They allowed any policeman or any fireman or anybody who worked in service to line up at the front of the marathon. And in solidarity, which was a beautiful camera moment for television audience and, and photographers and all the other stuff. And it was a feel-good moment, emotional moment. They all just like held hands across and the guys are taking the pictures and the race started and we were all thinking they were going to get out of the way. You know, they're not going to run. Well, they just like stayed there like in a blocking formation. We're, you know, literally we were like losing our minds because, you know, you're training all year for this, like we're ready to go. 
I ran three hours and 13 seconds in New York that year. And I'll never forget it because I easily lost 30 or 45 seconds. And I was running through Central Park. Like, I mean, I've run so many miles there. I can't tell you. I was like grunting out loud, just like looking at the ground. I didn't look at anybody. All the things I normally do where I'm high-fiving people, I'm feeling, I couldn't. I knew that every second was going to count. And in the end, I missed my 13 seconds. And, you know, it broke my heart because I never ran New York when I was in my peak shape. I ran Boston a million times. I ran Chicago and I ran all these other courses when I was in my peak shape, but I never ran New York when I was younger or at my fittest. And so that was the closest, closest I came. So you're right. Missing by two minutes or even three minutes. Yeah. You can, you can definitely handle that. Yeah. So I'm curious to know what your thoughts are on the New York city course versus Boston, like topography wise and hilly. Cause I ran New York and everyone kind of said it was hilly or hillier, but I didn't think it was that bad, especially not compared to Boston. Um, I think that's so funny because I, I get those kind of reactions a lot. I get people telling me that Boston's the hardest course they've ever run. And I get people telling me they don't think New York is hard at all. And I'm, I'm amazed. New York is to me, New York is the hardest course in the world. It's, It's the hardest marathon course in the world. And it's because all of the bridges, it's because of all the concrete you have to run. And it isn't so much the hill profile or it isn't the elevation. It's just that it's, I think concrete, you know, you're running on ice, you're running on hard packed snow, you know, that beats your body up in a very different way. And what it comes down to is what are you going to have left in that last, it's not even 10 K in the marathon. If you're trying to run sub three and then faster times than that, it's really like, what can you do in the last five K or the last four miles? It really, I don't care what you can throw down for 20 miles, man. I've gone through 20 miles in like 158 in Chicago and thinking I'm going to run 232. Uh-uh you know, had the wheels come off and run 239 or 240. Like, and that's still, you know, running one seven minute mile. And I thought I failed, you know, like, oh no, I fell apart. You know, you just, that's just how you come away from it. But to me, I think Boston's a way easier course than New York, but I think people get Boston wrong because they just ride the downhill sections early. They, they just let it rip too much as opposed to just keeping themselves controlled. Because if you're trying to run 255, 258, like that's obviously like 650, 648 pace. Like you could run, you could run six flat pace in some of those first miles in Boston easily. It wouldn't even be hard work. You wouldn't even be breathing, but that's not sensible. You know, like if anything, and you know, we'll get into talking a little about your coaching. Um, Cause I think like race day strategy is such an important part of being able to be successful and hitting time goals. And I think that most people, you know, they have this crazy idea in their head that they're going to run positive splits and they're going to bang time. And that's not going to work. And the only way that could work on earth is if you're an ultra runner, who's like coming the other way and you've run hundred milers and, and 50 milers, and you have this enormous aerobic capacity and strength. Yeah. If you wanted to go out and push the envelope and try to bang time then, but you have that much strength behind you, you might be able to hold it together at the end of a race. 99% of the people that are trying to execute that they don't have enough long runs in them. They don't have the endurance base under them. They don't have the strength underneath them. And then as it starts to fall apart, then it really gets away. And then seven minute miles become eight minute miles and eight forty miles. And then the race just goes away. So, you know, Boston is really a course 
where people really have to put a better plan in place. Like New York, it's not, it, in New York, it's different. You're running straight up to Verrazano. You're not going to go out too hard in New York, man. You're going straight up a huge hill. And then of course you do get the bomb down the other side of that. And then from there, you're pretty flat for a good long section. I mean, you are really flat in New York after that. It's only, you know, you don't really hit any hills in, in a lot of those areas, except for when you come to the bridges. That's really when you get hills. Your elevation comes from the bridges. Yeah. Yeah. I will say I was injured and had an injury leading into my Boston Marathon. So probably didn't help, but I started walking, like run walking uh, like halfway through <laughs> just because I probably went out too fast and had that injury and hadn't put in enough miles. So it's probably also why my, uh, um, why it's a little skewed my experience. Yeah. But the, the cool thing about it is you get a chance to fix it. Right. I mean, the, the thing about it is we all want it to go the way we want that first time, the first time we run whatever course that may, we might be super excited about. And most people, for most people, that's Boston because um, it has the legacy and, and the history. And I'm old enough to have run the hundredth Boston. So like I go back that long, I ran in the 1996 Boston marathon and there were 40,000 runners. The thing that's crazy, Michelle, is back then the, the field size used to be about 8,000, 6,000, maybe 10,000. Um, but because it was the 100th Boston, they had a lottery for the very first time. There had never been a lottery. No one had done that. I don't even know that any other race had done that before. They literally were the first ones because they were also the first one to have a 100th marathon. They're the oldest marathon around other than maybe Greece. I, there might be one other marathon that has a longer history than Boston, but it's it's maybe one. So with that many runners and that much pageantry, I mean, all these waves and stuff that, that had never been accounted for. They were the first ones to have like people going all the way back and then starting when you came across the mat. So, so much took place that day. And, you know, that's why Boston, you know, it's so such a dear place in my heart, but um, yeah, to run in that race, 40, I think 40 or 41,000, I came in like 400th place that year. So I ran, I ran 241 that year. So that was my best Boston. And, but I was only like 36 then. So that's like a lifetime ago, but you'll, you'll hopefully get many, many more chances to run Boston. And you'll believe me, you'll learn, you'll learn from your experience and being in Alaska, it's not like, you're just going to pop over to Boston every day, you know, like, you know, and now with travel and COVID, like God knows when, you know, like, I, I don't know. Well, I mean, what do you think? I, I don't think, I really don't have a good feeling about any majors taking place this year at this point. No, no. I mean, the uh, the only races that I've heard of that are going on are obviously the smaller ones, and uh, yeah, I don't foresee even ba ba Boston fall this fall. I I'm not super optimistic. Yeah, and the way they started, you know, the whole virtual, you know, the, the social outreach thing, you just get the idea it's going to be a virtual a virtual exactly. race there again. Um, New York has a chance because it's the first, you know, Sunday in November. So that's the furthest out by logical chronology. So that, that doesn't mean it's going to happen. It just means it's some chance because it's the furthest along. And, and London is October 3rd which is my son's birthday and it's the world age group championship. So I qualified for that. So I'm really hoping that that would happen, but I just keep telling all my friends and anyone who listen, people that listen to the pod and guests that come on the pod. I'm like, you know what? This is a time to like completely rebuild your running story. This is a time to like literally look in the mirror, David Goggins style and say, you know, what does Michelle need to clean up? Like what's going on? What's, what's in her running game? What's her strengths? 
What are our weaknesses? Don't BS yourself. Don't sugarcoat it, man. That's why I love Goggins because he'll drop all the F-bombs and the colorful language. But you know, like don't, if you're fat, say you're fat. Like people are, people are so damn politically correct. Like I'm slow or I don't like how I feel right now. I'm out of shape. Yeah, I'm out of shape. I know that for me, for my normal fitness level and my racing and my weight and everything that goes with it. I've been living on milk duds and Cheetos during Corona <laughs> times, man. I've been like literally eating boxes and bags of this stuff because, you know, we all have to give ourselves some sort of comfort, you know, in these stressful, crazy times. So I just allowed myself to just like do that. And it was, became a nightly routine. Like, it's like, not like I didn't eat sweets before Corona, but I didn't have them every single night <laughs> while I was watching TV. So that's where you got to take a, do that little deep dive examination. Like right now for you to get to that next level, to chop a couple more minutes more, you know, like, what's it going to take? Like, you know, what changes can you make? And I'm not talking about diet or weight. Screw that, man. I don't want to hear anybody talking about that stuff. You know what? There's way too many people trying to lose weight and, and whatever. If you're overweight, lose weight. That's fine. But if you're healthy, you don't need to lose weight. You need to get in better shape. Either do more miles, get more efficient running the miles, change up your workout strategy, find another way to attack the problem. But it's not just by starving yourself and doing unhealthy stuff. Because that's, I don't want anybody talking about that stuff on my show. Yeah, that's why. I mean, that's one of the reasons I hired my coach. Um, I've worked with my coach uh, on and off for the last seven years, taking breaks during pregnancy and a little bit postpartum one time for an injury. But I mean, she got me out of the, that same rut. Like I was, I'd write my own plans and they were pretty much the same, but she got, you know, she has a, she can think about things in a longer time frame and have those mesocycles and those building blocks to get me to where I want to go. And she writes workouts that I would never even, even thought about doing. Um, like this, my workout this morning was, it was 15 miles total and it was 12 by 800 meters with a one minute break. And usually I would, I might do six or eight, eight hundreds and then take two and a half minute break. But no, of course those, I would, um, the 800s today were slower, you know, there weren't all out 800s, but just having that an endurance, um, endurance workout for me, that's going to help me in the marathon. It's a great, it's a great workout. Cause it's, it's, it's basically six miles of speed work. I mean, it's 12 halves. And if, if you have a minute or two minutes and you know, it, when we're on a track and you're not in a track in Anchorage, Alaska, you're obviously doing that on a treadmill, but you know, I, I've always been a person where I like to just do recovery slow. I have other people who literally will stop and that's fine too. Like whatever your coach is telling you or whatever you feel works for you is good for you. Like to me, I personally like, I like to keep moving in a workout because I don't want to actually stop because like, let, you, you know, let the heart rate shift, let it change, relax, get comfortable because in a real race, you might be really struggling. You might have a stitch. You might be having a little bit of a breathing patch. You might just be in a spot where you don't feel really good. And one of the things I try to tell, you know, just put out there to the universe is like, man, think about it like a fartlek run. If how many times when we're doing fartlek work where we're doing like three minutes on three minutes off three minutes on a minute and a half off, like 
you push and you don't even believe that you can push that hard for three minutes, but you know, you're getting a minute and a half to ease back off. So it's like, okay, here's my chance. I just got to go hard. I'm like, I want to go really hard. I want to keep pushing, not ease off 10 seconds before the end, go right through, man, as hard as I can. And then, then I can wind it down for whatever that interval period is a minute, a minute and a half, two minutes. And it breaks the run up. And it's great. I love stuff like that. So you got 15 miles of quality in today with six miles of, of work. And I was out there just, you know, doing slow, you know, crappy miles. But you know what? Check out my Instagram feed, peeps. I got some awesome pics today. And I got six days in a row of 15. So it was a win. It was well, a win. I will not be running 15 miles again tomorrow. <laughs> I will be best day because I am beat from that workout. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, it's just, it's obviously so different. I mean, I... Um, was always a high mileage runner anyway, when I was in the peak of my years and still, you know, I'm able to qualify, thank God, um, for like master's age group. So I can, when I want to run a really fast marathon, but right now that's just not, I just see the world for what it is at this moment. It's a, it's a pretty broken place at the moment and we're trying to pull it together. And it's just going to take a lot more time because even with two different vaccines, we just don't even have an effective rollout strategy. And, you know, everybody wants to blame, you know, if you hate Trump and you should, <laughs> you know, blame him. He's not responsible, man. Each state has to have a plan. Each governor has to have a plan. No one has a plan. And it's sad unless you're a healthcare worker and you work in the hospital and I work in healthcare tech. That's about the only people that have gotten vaccinated. My mom has lymphoma. You know, she's going to be 88 years old. You know, her doctors who treat her, I'm, sh I'm waiting for them to say, Rose, you're going to get the shot next week. And there's just, it's not happening. So and you can't be any more high on the priority list than she would be in terms of her age and her health variables that they consider. And we just don't, we don't have a good system. We don't have a good plan. So the reason I keep putting it out there to people, find some ultras, man, find some trail races, because those are going to happen. They're going to be able to get permits to run a trail race or an ultra marathon. And even if you have no interest in running ultras, like long-term, just go out there and do it, man. Just go out there and get an experience of running on the trails with people spaced out and, you know, coming up on an aid station, maybe every five or 10 miles versus what we're used to in marathons where it's every mile and there's a water and Gatorade table. It's just such a different, incredibly different experience. And I, one that I just found to be amazing. I just love it. And it gives me something to do. I mean, I'm not going to be sitting around going, oh yeah, Boston's happening. London's happening. I'm not going to con myself into that because, you know, I really, I really don't think so. And I know um, at the end of the month, I'm having on the two executives from the um, Abbott World Marathon Major Series. That's the executive director and their head of global marketing are going to be on my show. And I know everybody's going to want me to grill them about the races, but the thing that people don't understand is they have no control over any of it. It has to do with each of the cities and the governing bodies and, and the townships along the way and everything else, as you know. And like with Boston, it's the nine towns that you run through. Like they can't, Boston itself might be okay with it. If, if everyone else, Framingham and all the places along the way, Wellesley aren't okay, it's over. It's shut down. So, yeah, I think there's enough. People have gotten really creative with virtual, obviously, not just the virtual races, but now you have these virtual challenges and it's a month, month long thing and uh, relay teams. And I mean, there's enough different types of ways you can challenge yourself and keep running and find some motivation. That if you, yeah, if you want to, you can find some ways to motiv motivate yourself. And I know a lot of people have, even the Peloton, the 
not, the the group classes and things like that people have really gotten into. So there's a definitely if you're looking for a way to stay motivated with your running, you can find a find a way. Yeah, I mean it's it's really good advice. Um, uh, Abbott, the the lead sponsor, you know, we're just talking about the World Marathon Majors, which is um, you know Tokyo, Boston, London, Berlin, Chicago, New York. They're, um, they started the Global Run Club. That's the hat that I'm wearing on my head. And the Global Run Club, is, is, is that's exactly what it is. It's just task-based things. You know, run 5K this month, do this, run 100 miles for the month of January. Um, it's all different things. Do a one-mile time trial. And, you know, you can get, you know, badges like this, or you can get medals or, you know, just different things where you can see yourself amongst your peers. And it's a worldwide program, obviously. So you could be like, hey, I'm in fourth place. And, you know, it's something to your point about there is some way to connect in the community. And, you know, I talked about running, you know, with, for Tommy Rivers Pusey, you know, he has the whole Nordic track and I fit he's on there. He's on the treadmill, you know, speaking in multiple languages to people on these runs, like in Patagonia, he's talking Spanish or all these different places around the world. So I think that's where he's an amazing runner and like incredibly talented, but that's where he became so well known from these treadmill runs, when people were locked up indoors, they were running with this guy, you know, in these different places around the world and, you know, all the other stuff and cycling uh, to your point too, is the same thing. I mean, you could ride the tour de France courses. I mean, you're, and you got an instructor and you got these screens and you could see where people are. It's, it's, it's incredibly immersive the way they've uh, put some of these things together. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So if you need a little juice, you could always do that. So talk a little bit about your, I know you're doing coaching also. So how did you get involved with that? You know, what led you into that? And, you know, talk a little about, you know, how many people you're working with and what the experience has been like. It was about a year before my first son was born. And I knew, I knew I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom once he was born and I started working at the running store and, but I also knew I wasn't going to be able to do that full time because I wanted to stay at home with him. So I needed, you know, just a, a part-time side hustle, little job <laughs> to do, um, after I had him. So I was like, well, I love running. I feel competent enough to coach others on how to progress their running. I had coached, you know, self-coach myself from a 345 to a 317 marathon. So felt like I could pass my knowledge on to, uh, and help other runners. So it was six, seven years ago now when I decided to take on a couple athletes and they were, all, they were just local athletes. One was a friend and I started really small. I only had a few athletes, but through my blog, through word of mouth, and then through, I also coach at the running store here, our training groups. I just picked up more athletes over time. And now I have a team of 12 individuals, um, mostly women. Every once in a while I have some males, but right now all women. And I do like to keep it small. I like, I really like to give them personal attention and make sure I, um, and, you know, following up with their, their texts and emails and, really giving them the t the attention that they deserve. So I keep my team really small and I have people all actually I have people all over the world. And right now I have somebody in, um, in Africa that I work with. She knew about me through my blog and she, we started working together. So I've, and I had, I've had one other gal from Hong Kong. 
um, and then all the, over the U.S. So it's it's really fun. It's fun to help them reach their goals and keep them motivated. Yeah, it's just something I'm really passionate about. That's super cool. And when we get out of Corona times and craziness, hopefully you'll get a chance to meet up with some of them at a race somewhere, you know, Boston or New York. And that would be super cool to have, a, you know, an IRL, you know, in real life meetup. Um, Cause that's, uh, that's the best, you know, nothing, nothing better than that. Especially people that you've met through Instagram or Facebook and connect and um, you know, that the absolute joy of it all was in like 20, you know, 2020, every single race, all the majors, all six got canceled for us. You know, the elites were able to run in Tokyo. The elites were able to run in London. The rest of them didn't take place. But in 2019, I got to run all six majors. You know, I was one of only seven people in the world to do that. And every one of those races, you know, Michelle, I was meeting somebody like you, like, you know, that I was, you know, met through Instagram and talking, okay, well, I'm going to organize a shakeout. We're going to meet the Imperial Palace and we're going to probably meet around 10 o'clock. So, hey, I'm putting this out there on Instagram and Facebook. Anybody's welcome to come. And, you know, you think like 10 people are going to be there and you get there and there's like 45 people or 50 people. (laughs) And, you know, you go and, you know, you run like 5K slow, um, just goof off and take a bunch of pictures. And, you know, then you met all those people, you know, and then that's how my year was in 2019, you know, then it went from there and then it was Boston. And then um, my son came his first time he's been on the race course since he maybe saw me run a marathon. He was like eight or nine, you know, he's now a college graduate and he was up there in Boston running around the course with one of his uh, high school buddies who was going to school up in Boston and then London, same thing. So each, each city, you know, I organized a shakeout and just was amazed, like how many people would just show up and come and, and I wasn't coaching them, you know, you're coaching, you know, some of these athletes. So I think that's the the community aspect of our sport. That's so awesome. And, uh, if that's what you're doing with your blog and connecting with people and coaching, you know, good for you, man, more, more power to you. And I think it's great that you're getting coached on your own because then it takes it off of your plate altogether. You don't have to focus on the X's and O's and exactly what kind of workouts, you know, you think you need to do to get to that next little level, wherever that little jump is, that's going to occur, because I think it's better served to let somebody else handle that. You know, when you're so close to something, you know, somebody like me, who's just, you know, it's just a very different period of life. And I just want to do more charitable things. And I want to do more things in ultra. I can experiment. I can play around, man. I've had a life long experience of running and it's been wonderful. Um, But, you know, when you're so close to something and you're doing like super, super well, and you're right on the fringe, it's great to have somebody that you trust and work with. So yeah, I think you said six, seven years of working together. That's, that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, I like not having to worry about my plan, although I do like writing plans. I mean, it's nice not to have to worry about it. And it, like I said, she has a, a bigger picture, the bigger picture in mind, so she can plan that out appropriately. Um, and then it, it it's more, more motivating to work for somebody else to know that I have to report my times to her and I don't want to report <laughs> that I slacked off for the last two intervals. So I'm like, okay, I got to keep going here. And it's so it's motivating to know that someone else is cheering for you cheering for you. And that's why I told my athletes, I'm like, I'm your biggest cheerleader. You know, I'm here to help you. Um, let's work together and go after this goal that you have. 
That's that's great advice. Um, some of the best and most effective um, groups that I've been involved with were really small Facebook running groups. Um, some 80 people, some 40 or 50, some maybe 100. Um, I'm administrator for the New York City Marathon and Half Marathon Facebook page. We're larger than that. We're like about a thousand, maybe 1100 members, but that's not a large Facebook group. I mean, there are Boston marathon training groups that have 20,000 runners or a hundred thousand runners or 60,000 runners. There's trail groups that are larger, but you kind of lose that intimacy. So even for your athletes of 10 to 12, there's a lot of power in sharing what they're doing if they're comfortable. Cause again, it's, the dynamics of each group can be so different. Um, and it doesn't make any difference how fast anybody's running. What matters is if their goal is to do, you know, eight, you know, eight of X or six of X, like you had to do on the treadmill today with, with whatever your recovery is. The point is if they get a chance to put that out there and share that with you and the other people at your coaching and then encourage each other or also have each other's back when they had a shitty day or they really struggled on a workout and just failed or just said, you know what? I said I was going to go out the door and I tell myself that's my deal. I can only go two miles and turn around and come back. But you know what? Sometimes you actually do turn around and come back. Sometimes you actually do punt. And sometimes that's actually the right decision. Because I never advocate to run through a real injury, being sore, being tired, being cranky, being all sorts of things that happen just because, you know, you just feel like, you know, you're not in a good space when you go out the door. But sometimes getting through those first couple of miles is all it takes. And then after those first couple of miles, it starts to melt away. And it's not about pace on those kind of runs anyway. It is the least important thing in the whole world. In fact, you can turn your watch completely upside down. Um, I wouldn't say turn it off because if you want to track your miles or whatever, <laughs> I won't go that far. Um, but you can, you can, if it's not important to you, if you're old school. And I have friends who still, they don't even use Strava. They still, they want a paper log only. They're not putting it out to the universe. You know, they're on Instagram and they post about stuff, but they don't want to be, having people looking at their individual day-by-day -day runs. They don't want to know. They just don't want to. And that's fine. You know, we don't have a whole lot of privacy in this world we live in these days. So I, I literally don't have any issue with it. For me, I'm just, I'll put my stuff out there because at my age, I know there's always somebody out there that's going to look and say, wow, this dude's still fired up about the sport. This guy's still going out there doing some crazy ass stuff. This makes me excited like this is this is a path for the future because you know like i i can't tell you how many people in my peer group or age group are all like well you can still run you mean your knees aren't broken or your back <laughs> isn't bad or you know all the other ridiculous things that people say to my yeah, my knees are okay. My back's okay. How are you doing, by the way? You know, because <laughs> they're the ones, you know, the armchair quarterback sit there telling you why running isn't good for you, right? But meanwhile, you know, the only running they do is to the refrigerator to go get another Bud Light or something, you know. But yeah, yeah, cool. So, what? Um, anything big? Um, obviously, there's really no like necessarily races. I mean, do you have anything up in your part of the woods that's safe or that you feel like will actually take place that you're, you know, focused on or training for? Um, some of our, I'm hoping some of our smaller races will happen this summer here in Anchorage. They're doing the Shamrock Shuffle with a staggered start. So they are still going to be putting it on in person, but it'll have a staggered start. Um, and beyond that, I haven't heard it be, um, if anything's going to happen. I, I mean, I know races, race registration is open for one of the marathons up here. Um, and they may be planning on doing a staggered start for that as well. 
because there's only, I think, maybe 300 people for that marathon. Uh, and then, yeah, we do have a lot of trail runs up here and trail races. So I'm thinking some of those will happen. I, I hope there's, I would, I'm hoping to run the Run Fest Marathon, which is the one I won. Defending champion. You have yeah. to you have to come back and defend your title, man. You got you got honor on the line there. Well, the the other big motivating factor for that race is that the winner gets a plane ticket. So whoa, okay, <laughs> that's, that's, that's something. <laughs> heck yeah, man! You use it to come to New York. Heck yeah, yeah. or Boston, or man, that's great. Yeah, that's a great prize. Yeah, and then I was I was signed up to run CIM this last December, so. Maybe it'll happen this year. Maybe I think CIM could happen. Um, I, I mean, again, California has been really hard hit, and I think you don't have to live in these places to know which areas are experiencing uh, more difficulty. California is really struggling right now, um, but CIM is the latest race in the year. It's 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 very very late in the year in terms of when it falls. Um, it's a great course. I can I tell you that you. firsthand. Yeah, it's a great, great course. You'd love it. It's super well-organized race. Um, Sacramento's cool. It's a cool, I, I highly recommend that race. Huge, huge props to CIM. And they were putting forth a lot of really interesting thought about how to make the race safe last year. They were trying to get that race to go through and couldn't. So I know they put an enormous amount of time. They did not announce that it was not going to happen until very late because they were still trying to figure out like you said, to your point, protocol, safety ways, how do you do staggered starts? Because, you know, that's not a course where, you know, you got, you know, 45,000 like New York City crossing the Verrazano Bridge or London. It's not that it's a big field, but it's not that big of a field and it opens up. Um, so we'll see. I think people are going to be forced to come up with even more creative solutions. And that changes the game for permits and how many hours you're going to need to have those roads be safe. Um, and that's hard because I just know in New York city with the five boroughs, like how much coordination that entails, the department of sanitation, the department of public works. I mean, the mayor's office, I mean, all these entities and groups that maybe don't get along all year, they got to get along on every detail about that race. And it's remarkable how early in the morning the engine has already started. I mean, people are taking ferries, people are taking buses and going over to New York at like crazy early times in the morning, like hours and hours before that race gun is going to go off at like 10.50 in the morning or that's when it always used to go off. I mean, it's, you know, I could be off a little bit, but, you know, somewhere around there is when when it's going to go off. But, you know, and then there are people who don't get there on time, you know, because something went wrong or, you know. The, the, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've seen it. Trust me. I think I've seen almost all of it over the years, but um, I'm always amazed by that, that people will train that hard for something. They'll put that much effort into their lives for three or four months and they're going to screw around. The night, how are you going to get a real night's sleep the night before a marathon when you, when you train your ass off or something? I, I just, it's foreign to me because I don't sleep that many hours on a regular night anyway. So that I'm going to screw around. Like if I got to set my alarm at four 30, I'm setting it at four 30. If I have to set it at, you know, four Oh five, I'm setting it four or five. I'm not going to sit there and go, Oh, I'm only going to get, you're not going to get a lot of sleep anyway. You know, it's race day, man. You need to make sure you're there early so you can get yourself settled. You know, unless it's like the monsoon in Boston where we had in, you know, like 2018, where, you know, you're going to get it to the village and it's a mosh pit 
and you know, you're going to have hypothermia before the race starts. That's different. If you wanted to play around with it. And, you know, I tell people all the time with New York, I've been taking an Uber to the starting line for years and I live here. Um, that's just me. I'm not worrying about if it's going to cost me $50 or $75. I'm not worrying about it. I don't want to be packed on a school bus with like a hundred people. And I don't want to stand in line and do all this stuff and then get hit with literally hundreds of questions from people that have never run it before. You know, I've talked to anybody. I do these shakeout runs. I'll give people advice. I tell them to message me all weekly. I'm race, but race morning, man, I don't, I want to be in my own world. I just want to have some coffee. I want to get in the port of John line, you know, take care of that stuff. And then after that, it's all good, you know? Yeah. So, um, before we roll out anything important that we didn't get a chance to talk about related to your own running coaching, anything that's going on that maybe we didn't get a chance to talk to. Gosh, I, um, I'm just, I love making connections with people on social media and that's, what's kept me going in blogging for 10 years now. Many times I've thought about quitting, but then like the moment I think about quitting, someone sends me a very nice message and saying how much I, they appreciate and I've motivated them what in whatever capacity. And so that just keeps me going. And I just, the average runner, the middle of the Packers, any runner out there is motivating those of us who are faster, who are competitive runners just as much as we motivate others. So I don't think people realize, I guess I just want people to realize that whoever you are, you're motivating somebody else. And uh, I love the running community. I, I would argue that our sport has the best and nicest people there are because after New York city marathon, I got, I literally got basically got lost. Um, I didn't have a cell phone. My friend and I were supposed to meet up and I couldn't find her. I had to make it from the finish line back to Brooklyn and I had no money, no cell phone. I <laughs> was walking around. I just had my little race kit on, which was like, my race buns and sports bra top. I thankfully had the thicker blanket, but I, and then a little bit of food from the, um, from the race finish, but I didn't, I mean, it was hours afterwards. I had to ask people how somebody told me how to sneak into the subway because the gate when she's like, when somebody comes through with a stroller, you just go, go in. And I had asked so many people for directions because I hadn't figured out the subway. I'd been in the city for less than 24 hours, basically. And I still hadn't figured out the subway system. I mean, a small, small town farm girl <laughs> in a big city. So I was asking people how to get back. And I ended up in like North Brooklyn instead of like the Southern part where I was staying and somebody paid for my Uber to go back to where I was supposed to be. And he is like, I get it. I've run the New York city marathon before. Let me help you get back. Oh my goodness. It was, it was quite the experience, but I'm so thankful for <laughs> all those nice people that helped me get back. So I am just so, I love the running community and I'm so glad to be a part of it. And I just want to encourage other people to, keep at it and keep doing and working hard towards their goals. That's a great closing story. Um, anybody can get lost in New York. 
I mean, <laughs> Home Alone 2, man, Kevin, Kevin's rolling around with the pigeon lady. I mean, it could happen to anybody. And uh, who knows? You could be in that could be that sounds like a story, man. We could make that into a movie. I mean, it could oh, be oh. interesting. But yeah, I, I'm I was actually waiting for you to tell me that somebody just like drove you back because New Yorkers get the worst reputation. New Yorkers are awesome, man. They will literally go down in the subway with you get on the train with you so that you're on the right side of the tracks, not going. I mean, I've just seen people do remarkable, extraordinary things to make somebody feel safe or comfortable. People that can't speak a single word of English that are from another country. And they'll be like, I, you know, come, you know, come, you know, wave, wave them along, come with me, follow me. So, um, you know, we, we've got a, a lot of pride in our city. So, yeah, I agree. Um, in the community, the community is just epic. And um, we've never seen more charitable things going on in, in these year plus of people not being able to race, of people just doing extraordinary fundraising things. And my last guest was on and he ran 100 miles for charity. And then he ran 73 miles um, just uh, a couple of weeks ago and just raised uh, two and a half million meals for the New York City Food Bank and raised like $20,000 for healthcare workers on the 100 mile run. So I just think we do. We are, we are strong. We're connected. We're united. And, um, you know, I think people by and large, doesn't matter. Just as you said, so eloquently, it doesn't matter how fast you run. It doesn't even matter if you run the whole race. It doesn't matter if you, if you get out there and do it, that's what's, that's what matters. That's the win. That's the win every day. Like I tell people, keep lacing them up, keep getting out the door. There's your win every single day. You have control of that. You can have had the worst day. You could be arguing with your spouse, not having a good day with your kids. There could be a hundred things going on. Your pet might be pissed off at you. There's, there's just so many things that are going on. But the one thing you can control is like, if it's safe that you can get out the door and go for a run somewhere out there in that run, you're going to find some clarity somewhere out that run. You're going to feel a little bit better about yourself. And when you come back, you're 99.99% of the times so you're going to be so thankful. You're going to say, Michelle, Good job. You did it. You got out the door. You got the stupid ass run in because it's not an issue on a workout. We're, we're the kind of people we're focused on getting those workouts done because we're focused on a time goal and running a good race. It's the, the in-between runs, the daily runs. They're the ones that really matter at the end of the day, because that's where we get our mental health and clarity and sanity from. So you got to keep doing that. And on Instagram, you're, it's the runner's plate. And that's also the connection to your blog and everything, right? So you, I'm sure you have a link up in your Instagram bio, um, bio to to get right to your blog, right? Yes, yes, I do. Yeah. Cool. So we'll definitely link that up in the show notes. And do you have um, like your coaching team? Do you have a page for that, or is it just like through you and like back home in Anchorage? Do you have any um, separate account for that? On my blog, I have a tab at the top that says coaching, and then I talk about what I offer and. A little bit about myself and yeah, what what working with me would look like. Cool. All right, good. So if anybody's interested in working with Michelle for coaching, we know she's dealing with athletes from other parts of the world. You can hit her up through her blog and see what's going on. And of course, follow her um, her running experiences in life through her page and just keep up to date on what she's up to and follow her sub three journey. And you know, when you when you do get there and you will. It will happen. You'll have to come back on and tell us all about it. Okay, deal. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks so much for making time to come on. It was a pleasure having you and very fun to chat with you. Thank you so much. It's my first podcast, so I'm very honored that you reached out. Well, that's awesome, man. I get to say you were on here first, so good stuff. <laughs> all right. So 
We always say to everybody, peace out and always remember to stay in the fight. Wow, that's great stuff from Michelle. If you're not already following her on Instagram, definitely get over to at the runner's plate and most definitely give her a follow. Also, I can highly recommend signing up for her running blog as well. That is chock full of information on technical equipment, gear to wear, um, terrific healthy food recipes. There was an easy crockpot taco soup in there recently that looked uh, just amazing. Um, she does yearly reviews um, on her running um, and just really digs in on some really interesting topics, how to run first thing in the morning. Um, she made uh, you know a post on that, really just giving you tips on just really how to get out of bed in the morning and tackle it first thing. May not work for me, um, but I can assure you it will work for some of you. So definitely give those a look. And um, one thing I really found interesting, uh, she did a little video on how to install sheet metal screws on the bottom of your running shoes to get traction in ice and snow, which is obviously a, a hazard for her running outdoors in the Alaskan winter. So all really good stuff. I hope you all enjoy this uh, convo as much as Michelle and I did. And if so, if you can take a moment to share an Instagram stories and Instagram or Facebook, anywhere out there that might help us find some new listeners to run chats, um, it all brings it back to new followers, new listeners, potentially bringing us new interesting stories to share with you all in a circular fashion. So we need more of that in 2021 so that we can all stay positive and keep moving forward with everything in life because, man, it's thrown a lot at us this past year or so. But anyway, I am so proud of everyone that's part of our Run Chat's mission initiative and uh, become part of the episodes and, and what we're after here. So thank you all from the bottom of my heart for being part of this journey with me and my guests. And I look forward to sharing more inspiring stories like Michelle's with you all soon. So as I say at the end of every show, keep lacing them up, my friends. Keep getting out the door and always remember to stay in the fight. Peace out. Love you all. <laughs>